You're listening to a live recording from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. Well, we are in a uh, series called uh, Heroes Unknown. We're looking at some, uh, some lesser known heroes in the Bible, and today is no exception. And I want to talk about the tradition of the church gathered. Why do we um, make a point of emphasizing the gathering of God's people, just like the Jewish people have for centuries um, gathered together. And so many of the letters that Paul wrote uh, to the churches that we have in the New Testament were around this idea of what takes place in the gathering. Why do we gather? What, uh, what happens when we gather? Um, how should we gather? And so the gathering remains an important part of the church today. And then COVID. And all of a sudden, what happened in COVID was that this, that if church was just a checkbox, if it was just one of many things that we tried to do in our lives, if we tried just to fit it in, what happened over these last 18 months is that for many churches, it's kind of optional. Like, yeah, take it or leave it. And yet, as we can see today, and for many that are online as well, there are many that still see the priority of gathering together, and it's no longer a checkbox. It's no longer just one of the things that we do because you wouldn't do it after these last 18 months if it wasn't important in your life. And so I want to talk about why that is and where the tradition kind of came from. Um, because every pastor I've talked with over these last several months, are, we've pondered, why do we gather What's important about it? Um, how does the gathering fit into the overall vision that um, we all have as pastors to make disciples of Jesus? Well, throughout the pages of the Bible, we see the people of God gathered. So if you have a Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 35, and we're going to take a look at really what was the first reference to the gathering of God's people um, in community. And, um, and the story revolves around um, what the Old Testament called uh, what Exodus calls the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. And uh, it was really a, a sanctuary uh, of where God's presence dwell. Now, the story of Exodus, uh, the book of Exodus, is filled with amazing stories of God moving in power, you know, handing out, giving Moses the, the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, parting the Red Sea, the, the manna from heaven every single day for 40 years, God provided bread from heaven uh, for the people of Israel, full of drama, the escape from Egypt, the whole thing. It's, it's just incredible. But did you know that's only about 60% of the book? All of that is like only 60%, 26 chapters, matter of fact, 26 chapters, 26 or 24? I wrote it down, 24, 24 chapters. The other 16 chapters, do you know what they are? Blueprints, seriously, blueprints. They are the, the, the details that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai for the tabernacle that he wanted to build that he wanted his people to build. That's one of the most surprising parts of the story. And it's one of the most boring parts of the story if you're trying to read through the Bible. You hit that point and you go like, why, why do I need to know how many cubits the tabernacle is? You know? And then, and then not only that, they repeat it twice, verbatim. God gives Moses the, the detail, like detail. When I say detail, I mean detail about everything about the tabernacle. And then um, when they start to build it, Moses repeats all of it 
again in the book of Exodus. It's super, super exciting. And so, and so today our unsung hero is probably the tabernacle, but I wanted, I wanted to pick a guy, uh, not a guy, just a person, not, I'm not, yeah, a guy or a gal. But in particular, this, this person is like, like shows up with the tabernacle, like he's front and center. And uh, you probably don't, you probably never heard of it, you know, Bezalel, anybody, anybody know old Bez? No? Yeah, he's the guy that built the temple. Look at uh, Exodus 35, verse 30. Then Moses told the people of Israel, the Lord has specifically chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. The Lord has filled Bezalel with the spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and um, expertise in all kinds of crafts. He is a master craftsman expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. He is skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and in carving wood. He is a master of ev at every craft. And the Lord has given him, both, both him and Oholiab, son of that guy, of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach their skills to others. So not only they had this, but they were also great teachers. The Lord has given them special skills as engravers, designers, embroiders in blue, purple, and scarlet thread on fine linen cloth and weavers. They excel as craftsmen and designers. So all the detail that God provides us for this tabernacle is in the hands of Bezalel. He's, got, he's the guy with the blueprints that comes on the site every single day to see how the progress is going, to adjust here and that. I, I like to think of Bezalel as the Steve Jobs or George Lucas of the tabernacle. They're the chief creatives. This huge team, he has this huge team, this huge creative team of people that are helping knit and sew and build and implement. The design was given by God. It's a massive production and, and everything has to be portable, right? Because it wasn't, it wasn't just, a, it wasn't a, a, a stationary temple that was going to stay there forever. It was, every time God moved, that they had to pack everything up, not only themselves and their families and their tents and all that, but they had to pack up the tabernacle, take it to wherever God moved. And then when God stayed, um, they put the tabernacle back, put everything back in place, you know, the, 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 you know where the sacrifices were made, the, the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was held. Everything had to go back in its, in its proper place. And, that, and so it's just this incredible endeavor. Uh, for 40 years while they wandered in the wilderness. And then even as they went into the promised land, they continued to put this tabernacle. We, I, found a, I found a picture um, because of the detail, you, you can find what it probably looked like. And so here's a picture of the tabernacle um, that somebody put together. And, and, it, and it's, I imagine it's pretty accurate because like I said, it's that detailed in the Old Testament in Exodus. And so anybody into Minecraft? The same people that cheered for my lightsaber are into Minecraft. And uh, so I found the tabernacle in Minecraft. There it is. Yeah, I was really into Minecraft for a while. That's not mine. I would do, have done a better job, but it's a good, it's a good rendition. The question, though, is not um, for us today. I mean, there's a lot of symbolism in the tabernacle that we could spend a lot of time unpacking and talking about what each, what each piece meant and why, why it was the breadth and length it was and why the color of curtains were used. We could, we could talk. There's a lot of imagery and metaphor in all of that. But today, I just want to spend time talking about why. Why did God, like, have spend so much time having Moses write down everything? Like, what? And what was, so, what was the big deal about a tent um, 
And so in essence, just like one sentence, kind of like the why, the tabernacle symbolized the presence of God among his people. Up until this point, right, that when the Israelites' vision of God was on Mount Sinai and lightning and thunder giving the Ten Commandments to Moses. They couldn't even come near to the mountain. They had to stay a safe distance away from God. And now all of a sudden, God's having Moses and Bezalel build this tabernacle. And what happens when they finish the tabernacle? God's presence comes pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, and he dwells with his people. It's a pre, uh, it, it prefigures Christ, who John wrote, so the word became human and made his home among us. You could literally say he tabernacles with us. He like moves into the neighborhood, sets up a tent and says, the, you are my people. I want to be with you. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness and we have seen his glory, the glory of the father's one and only son. We've seen it. You know who only got to see the glory in the tabernacle? Moses. He would go into the tabernacle and he'd come out and his face was glowing. Eventually priests would be able to go into the tabernacle, but very few, only one at a time would be able to go into the Holy of Holies once a year. I mean, it was just this crazy, like all of these rituals and regulations and because of Jesus who came and tabernacled with us, now all of us have access to the presence of God. God made his home with us, but the tabernacle is significant because up until that point, God was distant. And he's, he was drawing near uh, to his people. Now, God doesn't ask us today to make temples for his presence to dwell. Why? Because he clearly shows us in scripture that we are now the temples of the Holy Spirit. Each of us. We embody the presence of God in us. When we receive Christ, when we ask Christ into our lives, the Holy Spirit comes into us and lives with us. That's so powerful. But you know what one of the tendency is in churches today and the people of God today is like, well, <laughs> the Spirit lives in me? Great, I'm good. I don't need to go to the gathering, right? And then you add to that, Jesus said, if one or two, two or more are gathered, there I am. And you're like, well, I could be with my friend who I like. <laughs> not have to go to the church, I think I'll do the little two-person thing. And so you start to like go, and, you, and then you start to have to like, and I get, I get like, if you need the gathering to grow in your relationship with Jesus, then you, then you haven't been discipled well enough yet. And what do I mean by that? Like, I mean, if you're stuck on an island by yourself, you know, and you don't go the Tom Hanks way. Instead, you like have a Bible with you and you read the Bible. I hope your relationship with God will grow in isolation. But there's something powerful when the people of God who are filled with his spirit all come together to meet, to gather, to worship, to encourage, to strengthen one another. There is something that cannot happen any other way in God's kingdom than, than other than the gathering. We come close to God and to one another. We enter into a sacred space where the Trinity dwells. There's something powerful. It, it, even, it even echoes Revelation chapter 7 where this is all kind of rolling up to this. All, all of our lives, we're gonna, we're, gonna be, we're gonna see this. 
as Christ was. We're going to see this one day. And after, John, John writes, after this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands and they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. See, that's, we're all rolling up to that moment where we're gonna stand in a great crowd of people, of multi-ethnic crowd and worshiping God in our own languages, I believe, praising him. What a beautiful picture that is. And, that, and, and the only picture we have of that, even, even a shadow of it, is in the church gathered together, to gather and to participate in the gathering. That's why the Bible uses this metaphor. Um, I love what uh, the author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews 10, verse uh, 19. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. All of us get, all of us get in. It's not a priest once a year. It's not Moses, just Moses. It's all of us. We all get to go in to the most holy place by, uh, because of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. Verse 25, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And I believe that scripture is applicable for us today. Let us not neglect gathering together to encourage one another especially now, especially in these days. We cannot live in isolation. It's not good for us. It's not good for us to be alone. We need each other because the day of his return is drawing near. So let us gather together in worship of God, encouraging one another. Like I said earlier, church is no longer just a checkbox for us. It's, it's up on the priorities list. I can't miss the gathering of the people. My kids can't miss the gathering of God's people. We need to be in community together. Why? <laughs> because I'm not very good at encouraging myself by myself. I'm not good at edifying myself by myself. I, I have a tendency to bring myself down. I don't know, maybe some of you are like that. I just, I just have a tendency to kind of be too hard on myself. And, and what people need is not an, just another group of people like bringing, bringing on all of that on ourselves already because we, we already got that down on our own. We need a, people, people, a group of people who are coming before God's presence in worship of him, encouraging one another edifying one another, loving one another, challenging one another. Because that's, that can't happen in isolation. When we come together in worship of God, there's something that happens. And the corporate worship of the people of God, all individuals filled with God's spirit who come together raising their hands in worship of God, reading his word together. Remember um, in and Ezra, Nehemiah and Ezra, in their day, they rebuilt the, the temple and Ezra has this kind of a church gathering again. They, they had forsaken the gathering because they didn't have a, a, a space to gather in. And so when they come together, they open up the word and every, all the entire people, all the people of Israel fall on their faces before God in worship and repentance. That can't happen in isolation where we corporately respond to the word of God. So the temple metaphor encourages us to gather, but it also encourages us to participate. And here comes Bezalel. Moses invites Bezalel to participate 
in the activities of the temple, in the building of the temple. I love what um, Moses includes in this story in Exodus 35, verse 25. All the women who were skilled in sewing and spinning prepared blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine linen cloth. All the women who were willing used their skills to spin the goat hair into yarn. It's just, it just mentions all the, the different people that were involved in making the temple what the temple was in order for the presence of God to dwell with his people so that we could encourage one another. Imagine, imagine when the people of God, little temples filled with God's spirit, come together to encourage one another, to serve one another, to love one another. Just like Bezalel came and brought his gifts, his talents, his skill set to bear on the gathering. We all have something to contribute. I love what Paul writes in, to the church in Corinth 1 Corinthians 14, he reminds that God has given everyone a gift to help one another, to care for one another, right? He writes, well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When you meet together, not if you meet together, when you meet together, one will sing, another will teach, another will tell some special revelation God has given, one will speak in tongues, and another will interpret what is said, but everything that is done must strengthen all of you. He's just given some examples, all right? And if I, if I, if I opened up the door right now for someone to sing, someone would sing. I guarantee you someone would sing. That's why I'm not opening up the door for that to happen right now. But the idea, though, is like, let's bring what we have. Let's bring our skill sets and our talents and our gifts and our laughter and our joy and our, and our trouble and our struggles, and let's bring that all into the house of God to be encouraged and strengthened by those around us and by the Holy Spirit. Church today is so different than that, what we just described. It's, it's sneak in, sneak out. It's come in by myself, leave by myself. It's just, it's so individualistic, you know? Um, and, 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 and God wants to do something fresh and new to bring us together to, to, to you know, we, we, have these, we have these invisible walls around us everywhere we go in life, don't we? These barriers, these, that just like, when we let, and we invite people in, you know, but we just like safe distance. That's kind of our culture. And I, I, I believe God always wants to bring, just tear some of those boundaries down, some of those barriers down and say, these are, you're my people called by my name. Worship me together in unity. That's what he's calling for us. I think one of the reasons that I stuck with church uh, through high school and even after high school, because I'm a, I'm a pastor's kid and uh, Statistically, we don't stick with Jesus after church. Let me just say that, right? And um, one of the reasons I stuck with it is that uh, my parents encouraged me. They didn't make us, but they encouraged us to serve on Sundays. And what do I mean by that? Well, they, just, they, didn't, they didn't just say, well, go and sit in the service and listen to the preacher. And they invited us to participate whether it was passing out bullets. I remember going to the church office. My mom was a, a secretary there, and I remember going on a Thursday afternoons and folding bulletins for Sunday service. I felt like I was part of the church. I felt like I was part of the gathering, right? And, and then I think I, was, I think I was a middle schooler, and I was, I was teaching the fifth graders. We don't do that anymore. The age spans, we need a little bit more space. But anyways, it was just like back in the day, you know? And I just remember like being a part of this thing. I was, I was, I was in, I felt needed and, 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 and people wanted me there and people older than me connected with me and I, I just, and so I stuck with it. I just, I was like, this is where life is. I, I wasn't going to church in order for my spiritual needs to be met. 
I was going to church to serve. That's, what I, that's how I grew up thinking about church. I had no other concept of church until I got older, right? And you know what happened when I came to church to serve? Guess what happened? My spiritual and emotional needs got met. I, met, I have relationships that I can still go back all the way back to my childhood today. I still have relationships today from back then because I came, church wasn't a place where I just met my spiritual needs. It's a place that I was able to contribute like Bezalel to serve, to give of myself. I love that next week our high schoolers are gonna start to join us during this service in the 10 o'clock service. We're gonna have middle school youth over in the uh, youth area, but we're, we wanna break down barriers. We want high schoolers to know that they are part of us, that we want them here, that we want, and we'll, and we'll, and we'll adapt. You know, maybe, we'll, maybe we need to spice up our worship a little bit, and maybe I need to dress cooler. I don't know. It's hopeless, really, but maybe we just need to, like, smile more, love more, ask questions more. When you see a youth, don't, don't, when you see a high schooler, don't like maul them, okay? Be like, we want them here, right? So, but, but smile at them. Tell them, hey, we're so glad you're here. Uh, what's your name? You know, start with that. That's all you need to do next week. But open up our hearts to each other because we need the strength that only the church gathered can bring. I cannot and you cannot be strengthened in isolation, only in community, especially in a community of people who are filled with God's spirit. So we can encourage, we can make coffee, we can love on our kids, we can welcome people who are like us and not like us. We can smile, we can laugh, we can pray with one another. We can meet someone new every single week. You can meet someone new. <laughs> You're like, that's a good thing. Yeah, such a good thing. As we finish up, I want us to take communion together and... Um, as you came in, I hope you grabbed one. If you don't have one of these, I know we have some, um, some people that will grab that. They have, um, thank you, Dom. And over here we have some, just raise your hand um, and you can get a communion cup. All are welcome to participate in communion today with us. And um, you can go ahead and start to open both of them. It will take you the next five minutes. So <laughs> go ahead and start now and I'll keep talking as you do that. You know, when the tabernacle was built, when Bezalel and his crew put the final touches on the, on the tabernacle, when the curtains were laid, when the, all the different pieces of the furniture, you know, the altar of sacrifice, the table of showbread, the, candelabra, all these things, all these things when they were placed in, 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 in their proper positions, the Spirit of God fell. And he came and dwelt in this tabernacle, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And it rested there. The presence of God rested with his people. And when the cloud began to move, the people would, you know, the Israelites, they would break down the camp and they would move the tent of meeting with the cloud until it stopped. And then they would rest again in God's presence. And I, I want to tell you, we desperately need God's presence. And I believe this is a prophetic word for the body of Christ today is that I believe God has said, I have moved, but you have stayed. I'm moving 
and I need you to move with me. I need you to move out of your comfort zone. I need you to move out of what's normal. I need you to get out of the status quo of what church has always been. I need you to follow me. God is saying, I need you to follow me. We desperately need the presence of God. Oh, you guys, the stories I could tell you of how God met his people in this space, in this building over the years, how God guided the steps of his people, young and old alike, all along the way. The stories I could tell you. But those are stories from a previous generation. What about, what about our generation? What about our stories of how God met us in this place, in this space? What about our stories when God fell and met us and his Holy Spirit came to us and revived us and renewed us and encouraged us through his people? I believe there are so many stories yet to be written about how God moved among his people. We need a fresh move of God's spirit in our gatherings to experience together his presence where we are drawn into him and to a deeper relationship with one another. So as you take the communion in just a moment, I want to read um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I love what Paul writes here is since this new way, he's talking about the way of Jesus, since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened and to this day whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds, but not for us. He goes on to say in verse 16, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away for the Lord is the spirit and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Say freedom. Wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed, we can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. That describes the church gathered. And as we take the bread and the juice, the cracker and the juice, I'm just reminded simply of this fact that Jesus paid a price so that all of us could both individually and corporately experience the Spirit of God today. The resurrected Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit lives in us and with us here. So Jesus, revive us today. We invite the work of your Holy Spirit to do a fresh thing in us and among us. As your people gathered, Lord, we press in. We want more of you. We want to follow you, Jesus. We want to, we want to submit ourselves to your guidance. We want to we want to know you and the power of your resurrection. We want to experience you, Jesus. We want to be able to tell stories of your faithfulness, of your healing power, of your presence that came and met whenever your people gathered.
And thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice that paved the way for us to experience relationship with you and with one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and take the cracker and the juice together.